What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. All right, what's up, guys? Before we get started with the AFC South and my projections and breakdowns for all of the players in that division, I just want to say thank you for all the support you guys have given me. My numbers have been steadily increasing over the past two or three podcasts, and I've been getting some more ratings and reviews, so thank you guys so much. Please keep them coming if you can. Um, If you really enjoy the podcast, let some friends know. Um, I really appreciate it. And with that said, thank you guys for your support. Let's get into it. I'm going to start with the Indianapolis Colts. So they have had a lot of team turnover. Obviously, they added the washed washed Phillip Rivers and Xavier Rhodes. Um, yes, that might be a hot take. I know a lot of people are back and forth on Phillip Rivers. We have a lot of people that support him, a lot of people that don't. I do think that he's still a decent quarterback, and he's probably about average in the league now, maybe a little bit worse. Um, I don't necessarily think he's that big of an upgrade for the Colts as a team over Jacoby Brissett, and we will get into that later. So aside from Phillip Rivers and Xavier Rhodes, they also traded their 13th overall pick for the defensive tackle, DeForest Buckner, a great defensive tackle from the 49ers. So that's a, a good upgrade for their defense. They did lose Eric Ebron, a good touchdown threat, and Devin Funches, who when healthy could also be a touchdown threat. And then they drafted Michael Pittman, and Jonathan Taylor. I expect them to have a pretty middling defense this year, like I said, slightly better than last year, but I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to cause them not to be able to throw the ball a lot. And when you look at how much they throw the ball, if you look in 2018 when they had Andrew Luck, they actually passed the ball 644 times. But last year with Jacoby Prezet, they only passed the ball 513 times. Now, if you look at Rivers, he's usually a guy who passes in the, the high 500s, or low 600s, which he's done that a couple years too. So I do think that he's going to be on the higher side. And like I said, I don't think he's necessarily a huge upgrade over Jacoby Brissett, but I do think he is a little bit better and will allow their offense to stay on the field longer. But it's not just because of him. It's also because they added Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor. And hopefully, T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle are healthy the whole season. So I think that the pieces around Rivers are also going to be better than what Brissett was working with last year. So that's also going to help their offense be better, stay on the field, run more plays. So outside of passing, in terms of the run game, I do think they're going to be able to run more effectively and they should be able to do so often. Jacoby Brissett had 56 runs as a quarterback last year and very few of them were designed that way. So because of that, Rivers is probably going to in those plays, in those situations, still pass the ball. He's not somebody that runs. He's usually running between 8 and 15 times per season. So that's about 40 runs that you're taking out from last year and turning into passes. So I do think they're going to have a slightly heavier lean in the pass pass game versus the run game in terms of percentages. They're going to have a heavier pass percentage. So let's get into Rivers. He does have less weapons in Indianapolis, but... He has a massively improved O-line. So it's hard to completely decipher how that's going to affect him because is Mike Williams better than Michael Pittman, especially in Michael Pittman's rookie year? I would say most definitely. Is Keenan Allen better than T.Y. Hilton at this point in T.Y. Hilton's career? I would say most definitely. Hunter Henry is better than Jack Doyle. Austin Eckler is probably a better receiver than Naheem Hines. And Eckler and Gordon were good runners, probably just as good as Taylor's going to be maybe slightly worse. So, you know, his weapons, the people he's throwing to, are going to be a downgrade. But the improved O-line gives him more time, gives the receivers uh, more time to get open, and it just makes everything easier in that way. So I do think they're going to likely balance each other out. So T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman both had a huge um, opportunity this year because they're kind of the only two guys there. There's a lot of Paris Campbell truthers out there. I do think that he has an opportunity to do something. It's very, very reliant on how good Pittman is because I do think that with the way they've been talking about Pittman, the way they are planning on using him and the high equity that they put in him, yes, I do know that they put a second-round pick in Paris Campbell too, but 
Paris Campbell didn't do anything last year, and Pittman is, you know, the shiny new toy, and they're going to try and use him as much as possible, and he's that big X receiver that you want across from a faster guy and more polished route runner like T.Y. Hilton. So I think they both are going to be pretty good in fantasy. Pittman is actually one of my favorite rookie receivers, despite the fact that I was not super high on him coming into the draft process. I didn't see him be able to create much separation. He doesn't have quick feet, fast change of direction. I just, I do worry about him being able to create separation in the NFL versus professional corners that are much more athletic than what he was dealing with in college. But I think the opportunity alone is going to make him one of the best Rick receivers, even if he's not madly efficient. So overall, I would say the cast that Philip Rivers is dealing with is still very good. I think Rivers will be good enough to make this a good place to find fantasy options throughout the season. I just don't think Rivers is going to be much of a fantasy option because his passing is not going to be as good as it has been, um, kind of like we've seen over the, two, the past two years. And he doesn't have any rushing floor whatsoever, which you really need in fantasy these days with so many different guys that run. So let's get into Michael Pittman specifically. Like I said, he has a huge opportunity for targets. I have him projected for the second most targets among rookies, just behind Justin Jefferson. I have Pittman at about 100 targets, 102 to be exact. I think he's going to pretty much take the Mike Williams role. But like I told you guys earlier, I'm lower on him as a player, but the situation is really good. I had him ranked outside of my top 10 wide receivers coming into this rookie class. I do think he's going to struggle especially to start, um, most most likely with getting open and creating separation. I do, and this is something that does scare me, and I probably will not be drafting Pittman because I'm not the only guy who realizes the opportunity, and that's kind of baked into his ADP right now. He is one of the first few rookie wide receivers drafted off the board. Um, I think he has some Josh Doxson bust potential, um, if I may say so myself, because what we saw with Josh Doxson I feel like was very similar to what I see with Michael Pittman. And Josh Doxson was still a good 50-50 ball guy, even in the NFL. Like the only plays he was getting seemed to be touchdowns or 50-50 big play, um, big plays that he pulled down. And I think that's what we could see with Pittman, even though Doxson could not create any separation. He had a horrible reception perception and all of that stuff. I think we could see the same thing happen with Michael Pittman. Hopefully not, and I do think that the Colts are a much better organization at scouting players than the Redskins. Although the Redskins, you have to give them credit, they did find Terry McLaurin last year, and we're talking about wide receivers, so I had to throw that out there. But just as a whole, I trust that organization and their process a lot more, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but I honestly will not be surprised at all if Pittman is not a great receiver in the NFL. So now let's talk about T.Y. Hillen. I think he's going to be a good fantasy wide receiver if he stays healthy. He is a steal in drafts right now at his ADP. He could easily be your wide receiver too. T.Y. will lead the team in targets per game, and I only say targets per game because he might miss some games due to injury. But if you guarantee me 16 games with T.Y. Hilton, which is how I always do my projections, I just if I think somebody's going to get hurt, I bump up their risk rating, and I just make sure to pay attention to that when I'm drafting. But T.Y. Hilton's 16-game projection is he's out-targeting everyone by far. I think uh, Pittman is my second most targeted player with 102. Like I said, T.Y. Hilton, I have about 135. So he's got a huge lead on everybody else. And Keenan Allen was heavily targeted by Rivers, and he was pretty consistent. Um, in terms of having a floor, yeah, Keenan Allen was frustrating. Like he would have a first half of the season where he wasn't great, and the second half he would explode. I don't know if that's more on Rivers or more on Keenan. That's actually something we'll be able to find out this year because we're going to see Keenan without Rivers and Rivers without Keenan with Hilton, who can play a similar role. So especially as Hilton's getting older, he's not really just a deep ball guy now. He's more of the route runner. He runs more intermediate stuff. And you've seen his catch rate go up and his yards per reception go down, getting closer to that Keenan Allen type of um, repertoire, I, I could say. Then you have Jack Doyle. With Eric Ebron gone, he could be a really good fantasy tight end again. And we all know that Philip Rivers does like his tight ends. So here's the thing. Jonu Smith, so remember, we're talking about the AFC South now. We have the Colts, the Texans, the Jaguars, and the Titans. Jonu Smith is like a super hot tight end name out there right now. A lot of people love taking him late. But let's, let's be real. I mean, from my perspective, Jack Doyle's the best fantasy tight end in this division. Like, 
you have the Colts who are definitely going to throw the ball more than the Titans. Okay? Rivers, I trust more on a consistent basis to target a tight end than Ryan Tannehill. And Jack Doyle, we've seen him put out big years or big games in fantasy. Jonu Smith is just starting. We saw a couple flashes last year, but we don't know if we can fully trust it. So I would actually be taking Jack Doyle right now in front of Jonu Smith, but I do have them pretty close. It's just something that seems to be way too far in ADP right now, and everyone loves Jonu Smith, and everyone completely forgot about Doyle. So don't forget about him. He can easily be a tight end one, for sure. I mean, obviously we know so many people can be a tight end one if the touchdowns fall their way, but Doyle is one of the guys who should get the targets. And honestly, that's what you want to look for because tight ends are hard, or touchdowns are hard to predict, especially for tight ends, unless you're just one of the top tier guys like uh, a Kelsey or a Kittle who you can consistently put like six to eight. But just don't forget about him. That's basically my point on Jack Doyle. Then we have Jonathan Taylor. So I actually put out a poll because I am very curious on, first off, the industry guys that I talk to on Twitter and like the other people who have podcasts and whatnot and what their take was on the carry count and what they think is going to happen between Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor and also what the general you know gen pop thinks what everyone is just expecting and so this is how the poll came out so it's not over yet but I've had a whole bunch of votes already and it's been out for more than 24 hours 43% of people think that Jonathan Taylor is going to out-touch Marlon Mack 63% to 37% when it comes to carries. Then 35% of people think Jonathan Taylor is going to out-touch Marlon Mack 55% to 45%. And that actually worked out great because in my projections, personally, and I put this poll out after my projections because I'm not going to, you know, let just a vote unless I'm I'm learning information, new information. I'm not going to let just a random vote influence my projection. So I made sure I did my projections first. My projection puts it at Jonathan Taylor getting 58% of the carries to Marlon Max 42. Not of the whole team. Obviously, Naheem Hines is going to take a couple carries, but just between the two, how the percentages worked out. So with that in mind, just know I have Jonathan Taylor taking a bit more than half of the carries to Marlon Mack because if you drafted Jonathan Taylor to be like your stud running back, but you have Marlon Mack and you want Jonathan Taylor to be your future, why would you run Jonathan Taylor into the ground right away? And then just you're, you just have Marlon Mack on your roster like in case he gets hurt. like You're not using Marlon Mack at all because he's not going to be a receiving back. You already have that with Naheem Hines. So there's no point in retaining Marlon Mack if he's not going to play a significant role in your offense. And honestly, if I was them, the smart thing to do as an organization, especially if you really want Jonathan Taylor to be there for a long time with you guys and be healthy and be like a Zeke type of running back, why do you have to run him into the ground right away? Marlon Mack is really good. He averaged 4.5 yards per carry about, like off the top of my head, it was either 4.5 or 4.6 um, last year. And you guys have a great offensive line. There's no reason to just pound Jonathan Taylor right away. So that's something to keep in mind. So... I have him just above 200 carries, Jonathan Taylor. I would take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire above him in all formats, and this is something else I want to talk about. Because for the dynasty people that have Jonathan Taylor as their running back one over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I pose this question. Actually, multiple questions. Who will be the Colts quarterback next year? Okay, let's answer that question for Clyde. Who will be the Col- uh, Who will be the Chiefs? quarterback next year the best quarterback in the nfl patrick mahomes how good will the offense be next year do you think for the colts well you don't even know who their quarterback is going to be let's say they re-sign rivers that offense is going to be nowhere near what the andy red andy reed led chiefs are going to be for the next five years with mahomes and clyde and tyreek and kelsey and all everything that they have there so what about 2022 let's say the Colts re-sign Phillip Rivers. So what are they going to do after that? I mean, Rivers is not going to get re-signed a third time for another one-year contract. They're, at some point, the Colts are either going to have to make a big free agency signing, which we don't see often in terms of quarterbacks working out, coming off the free agent market. It's very rare. Or they're going to have to draft a quarterback. Well, guess what? The Colts have a good team. They're not going to be in a position to draft a quarterback high. So any quarterback they're going to take is going to be somebody with extreme question marks. They're not going to have a shot at a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence. 
unless Rivers goes down. But even if Rivers goes down, they still have Brissett. They still have him, and they were not horrible last year with Brissett. So honestly, I don't understand why people are taking Jonathan Taylor over Clyde um, in any format, because I would take Clyde in every format. Clyde is also the guy who has baked in receptions, receiving work. At least that's what we're projecting, but I mean, it's a pretty easy projection to make. So you might think Jonathan Taylor, okay, yeah, he's going to get more carries. But if I told you that, I, th- I think this would be a good example. Put Zeke on the Colts team and set, take him out of the Cowboys, put him on the Colts team, and also leave another good running back there with him, let's say Marlon Mack. Would you rather have that? Or would you rather have a guy like Alvin Kamara, who's pretty much the only good running back on a on the Chiefs. Like if you just swapped positions, are you going to take Kamara with the Chiefs first? Even though, because Kamara's never gotten high carries. Kamara's never been a a high carry guy. And Zeke has always been a high carry guy. So by that same logic of Jonathan Taylor versus Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, if Kamara was the Chief and Zeke was the Colt and he had Marlon Mack with him to take carries away and uh, a cloudy future with he doesn't know who the quarterback's going to be. T.Y. Hilton's old. We don't know if Michael Pittman's going to work out. We don't really know anything about that offense other than the offensive line is good. So I would take, in any situation, I'm taking the receiving back in the better offense with the NFL's best quarterback with one of the best offensive coaches over Jonathan Taylor's situation 100% every single time. So that's just something that I, I wanted to talk about because I really don't understand the Taylor logic um, with as as many people are on that train. Like, I understand if a few people feel that way, but there's a lot of people that are taking Taylor over Clyde, and I would venture to tell you not to do that. And also, one last thing, actually, Clyde Edwards-Lair has the first-round pedigree, which matters statistically if you look at it with carries, opportunity, commitment. The... All the first-round running backs that were taken outside of Rashad Penny because of injury problems and Sonny Michelle because of in- in- injury problems have been great. Saquon Barkley. Um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Josh Jacobs. I mean, those are some guys. You guys obviously you guys know who the first-round running backs are. I don't need to go over that. But that's a big thing, too. Then we have Marlon Mack. Like I said... I think he's going to get under 50% of the carries. He should be fantasy relevant this year. Mack and Taylor both are more of runners, not receivers. Taylor's okay as a receiver, but Hines is great as a receiver. So Mack is kind of just going to be like probably the least valuable of the three running backs because he's going to get the the carries behind Taylor, but then he's going to get basically no receptions. So I'm not really touching Marlon Mack. Then you have Naheem Hines. Like I said, he's going to be the receiving back. 100%. That's without a doubt. There's no way in my mind that Jonathan Taylor gets more targets or looks in the passing game than Naheem Hines. There's no way. Naheem Hines is great at that. And Rivers likes to target running backs, especially in the red zone, which is what we saw with Austin Eckler getting a lot of touchdowns and Melvin Gordon getting a lot of touchdowns in the red zone when he was there in San Diego slash um, LA. So Hines could actually be a sneaky sleeper late. So here are my projections for the Colts. Phillip Rivers, like I said, I'm not really high on him in fantasy, but I think he can help produce some fantasy guys. 16.7 points per game, 4,100 passing yards, 26 touchdowns with basically no rushing production. T.Y. Hilton I have at 14.2 points per game. I think he's a solid wide receiver too with upside. 135 targets, 85 receptions, 1,100 yards, 6 touchdowns. Michael Pittman. I have him at 11.7 points per game, one of the higher rookie receivers for sure, 100 targets, 60 receptions, 850 receiving yards, 7 touchdowns. Take a note of that, 7 touchdowns, and it's only putting him at 11.7 points per game. Yeah, does he have potential to get like an 8, 9, 10 touchdown season? For sure, That's the uh, he's the type of receiver who could definitely do that. But it's also possible he gets four touchdowns. And if he gets four touchdowns, he's going to be extremely frustrating in fantasy. So like I said, Pittman's not really somebody I'm going to be touching because his ADP is already as high as one of the better rookie receivers. And I already don't like uh, I already don't like drafting rookie receivers to begin with. So I'm not really touching Pittman. Then you have Jonathan Taylor at 12.6 points per game. I actually thought I was going to have him higher. Um, but just because of the lack of receiving... 
I don't really see him being our, I don't think he has a chance to be an RB1 unless like Matt gets hurt and then they just give him 20 carries a game and he gets like a Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry type of workload, which I don't envision happening unless, like I said, Marlon Matt gets hurt. I have John Jonathan Taylor at 1,000 rushing yards, 25 receptions, 150 receiving yards, 10 total touchdowns. Naheem Hines I have at 19.2 points per game. Not too far from Taylor because he's going to be very much used in the receiving game. I have him at 100 rushing yards only, 60 receptions, 500 receiving yards, 5 touchdowns. Then Marlon Mack, like I said, the least uh, relevant out of the three at 7.6 points per game, 650 rushing yards, 5 receptions, 50 receiving yards, and 7 total touchdowns. And then here's Jack Doyle, 9.5 points per game, 85 targets. So that's one of among the higher targets uh, for tight ends in the league. 60 receptions, 600 yards, and five touchdowns. All right, so we're going to go over the Titans now, and they are a team that people are super back and forth on. So I'm going to go over some changes over the team really quickly. They lost right tackle Jack Conklin, and outside of that, the team is basically the same. They have been elite running the ball that most likely is going to continue. You might see a slight, very slight efficiency dip after losing Jack Conklin. They did draft a tackle to replace him in the first round in Isaiah Wilson, but of course we don't expect a rookie to be as good as a veteran who was good in their rookie year, of course, right? And then they did have a nice cornerback ad that I just decided to mention in Christian Fulton in the second round. I thought that was a pretty good value for them. But other than that, I mean, their defense is pretty much the same. Their offense is pretty much the same. So we're going to get right into Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill was great last year. On a points-per-game basis, he was great. He also, not just for fantasy, but he was great for the Titans. I mean, they got very far into the playoffs. People weren't even expecting them to make the playoffs. And, I mean, honestly, it was a very slick move that they made getting Tannehill for, what was it, a third or fourth-round draft pick? I think it was like a, a third. And he ended up working out great for them. So that was a good move. But here's the thing about Tannehill. His efficiency numbers last year were extremely unsustainable. Extremely unsustainable. He led the league in yards per attempt. He led the league in yards per completion. And here's the thing. His yards per completion were 13.8. 13.8 yards per completion. In the Titans offense, that led the league above guys like Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. 13.8 is insane. And not only did he have that high of a yards per completion, but he did it at a 70% completion rate. Here's the thing about completion uh, completion rates and yards per completion. Usually the higher somebody's yards per completion is, the lower their completion rate is because they're attempting a higher difficulty level of throws farther down the field. So it's harder for them to complete those passes, but that's why their passes are completed for a higher number of yardage. You can look at Jameis Winston. He always has a high yards per completion, low completion percentage. You can basically look at any quarterbacks. That's pretty much a, a general pattern that you see. It just it makes it's common sense. Um, and so what he did was against common sense, and he's not a quarterback to do things against common sense consistently. Um, I wouldn't even be able to say I could see Mahomes doing something like this or Russell Wilson doing something like this. So the fact that Tannehill did it, it's definitely going to come down. Then he also, on top of the yards per completion and the completion uh, rate, had an 8.1 touchdown rate when the league average is around 4.5. So he was almost double the league average. All of those stats, I guarantee you, I would put not my life on it because, I mean, I just I don't like saying that. But I would put my money on it 100%. Every single one of those stat categories is going to come down, except except for possibly completion percentage. But if so, his yards per completion is going to be like 11. So if he's going to stay at 70%, which I don't think is going to happen at all. His career averages were 4.5% touchdown rate, so almost half of last year. 63.5% completion rate, so about 7% less than last year which both of those are huge differences, and then 11.4 yards per completion. So two and a half yards per completion difference. Also a huge difference. Yes, I know he was in Miami, and oh, Miami sucks. Well, I mean, Tennessee, they had so many things go right for them. It was literally the perfect situation. A.J. Brown was a rookie, and people didn't really know how to play against him or cover him and didn't know how good of a yards-after-catch guy he would end up becoming. 
he broke so many took so many things to the house derrick henry had like a 75 yard reception go to the house like there were so many things that happened that were just complete flukes that are not going to happen again i guarantee you and every single person in this offense except for maybe derrick henry is going to see a huge regression at least the way i'm projecting it so the fact that Tannehill, all of these efficiency numbers are extremely unsustainable and all of them are going to go down, that's bad news for him and the receivers. So now let's get into the receiver, the one everyone loves to take um, in the back end of the second and the top end of the third, which is way too high, A.J. Brown. Last year with Tannehill, he had a 22% target share. That's pretty good. I expect actually an, an increase in his target share, but I expect extreme drops in efficiency. He had 20.5 yards per reception last year, despite not being an elite speed guy. That screams massive regression. Even if Tannehill wasn't getting projected to regress, I would automatically expect that from A.J. Brown. You never see people put up back-to-back 20-yard per reception seasons, plus anybody that's ever over like 16 or 17 consistently. Who are those guys? They're guys like Deshaun Jackson. Guys that are super fast. They're blazers. They just run deep routes. A.J. Brown is not that guy whatsoever. He broke a bunch of tackles last year. Yes. And can you expect some of those tackle-breaking skills to continue? Yes. But there were also times where he had nobody near him. He just caught the ball and just went through like an open seam and nobody touched him at all. That stuff is not going to happen again. Especially people are going to be game planning for this guy now. And last year, he didn't see number one corners every week. He was a rookie receiver. You don't put number one corners on a rookie receiver unless you're receiving, um, your next receiving threat is like absolute trash, which Corey Davis has been really bad for fantasy, but he's still been drawing number one corners. And so AJ Brown didn't, is not going to have the luxury this year of playing against number two corners. He's going to see the number one every week for teams that shadow, and he's going to have to adjust and that's going to take some time. So right now, if I have A.J. Brown, I think if you can get a lot for him, it has to be a lot because he's still a great receiver. But if you can get a lot for him, I would sell high. Next year, actually, so after this this next season passes, because I'm expecting efficiency drops um, and he's going to come out struggling a little bit because it's going to be his second year when people finally have tape on him and understand how good he is and they're going to play him differently. I think all of those things are going to make A.J. Brown massively um under deliver and disappoint this year and so after this year he's actually probably going to be a really good buy low candidate so i'll probably be buying him at the end of this year right now he's an extreme disappointment at current adp um he had like i said multiple long breakaway plays to spike his stats and i don't expect those to continue it's always dangerous to expect outliers like that to continue and then now we can talk about Corey davis oh and so basically aj brown i think he's going to be a wide receiver two, back end wide receiver two, but I don't think he has near the potential everyone's expecting because, oh, you know, he was a wide receiver one for the stint of such a big stint of games last year. But like I said, I don't expect anything like that to continue. So Corey Davis last year had 17% of the target share. I don't expect that this year. And he's not somebody I'm interested in. I think it's going to go down a little bit because AJ Brown's going to take a little bit more. I think Humphreys can actually push into Davis's workload and then you also have Jonas Smith who could come onto the scene and take some targets. Um, I still think uh, Corey Davis is going to have a decent target share. But, I mean, he hasn't been able to produce with either Tannehill or Mariota with a higher target share. So I don't think that he's going to all of a sudden be able to produce now. So I'm not touching him at all. Adam Humphreys, he had a 13% target share last year with T- Ryan Tannehill. Like I said, I think he could push Davis for the second most wide receiver targets. He's a, a possible late round flyer um he doesn't have a high ceiling though and a team that runs the ball most of the time doesn't pass the ball much so he's not somebody i'm gonna be targeting either but i mean if you want to take a look at him if you think he has a chance to do something then go for it um because it's possible but i definitely like a lot of other guys in his range so basically what have you gotten so far out of what i've been talking about the titans i basically don't like any of them at current adp so now let's talk about johnny smith so he had a 15% target share with Tannehill. I'm expecting about the same. Maybe he, he takes a little bit from Corey Davis. Um, he's definitely dropping from his 80% catch rate. 80% catch rate for a tight end, and 
he wasn't averaging like eight yards per completion. So that's definitely coming down. He's also not a huge touchdown threat as a tight end. Um, so he's just not somebody that, once again, I like more guys over him in his range. Like I already told you, Jack Doyle is getting drafted way behind Johnny Smith. I would rather have Jack Doyle. Other guys that I think are going in his range right now are guys like Hayden Hurst. I would rather have Hayden Hurst. Blake Jarwin, I'd rather have him. Tyler Higby, well, he's definitely going in front of Johnny, but I would much rather have Tyler Higby. But just a lot of guys I would much rather have than Johnny Smith that are around him. So now let's talk about Derek Henry, the only guy that I'm touching in Tennessee. So I was very surprised to find this stat. This is crazy, but also makes sense with how like unrealistically efficient the Titans were as an entire team last year. Once Tannehill took over, so Derrick Henry over the season averaged 5.1 yards per carry. If you only look at the games Tannehill was the quarterback, Derrick Henry at Henry averaged 5.9, nearly 6 yards per carry. Um and like I said he had some huge breakaway plays. He was on pace with if you just look at the Tannehill games and put it over a 16 game season, he was on pace for 21 touchdowns and 1,995 rushing yards, almost 2,000 rushing yards. I think he's going to drop his average back to around five yards per carry because I don't think they're going to be as deadly in the passing game as they were last year because of the fluke plays. I'm sorry. I know I'm being super repetitive, but I just it's so important. I need to drive that point home. It's not going to happen. There's no way this team is going to go back-to-back with league-leading efficiency. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, and then Derrick Henry, he's not used in the receiving game at all, right? He barely had, barely over like one and a half targets per game. I don't think that that's really going to change. Some people think he's going to get used more now. Deion Lewis is gone, whatever. I mean, I don't really see it happening. I think that they're just going to throw the ball to, if anything, Darrington Evans. Because you can't, you can't really just push Henry into a receiving role. That's not the guy he is. He He's not that guy. If anything... If you're finding yourself throwing the ball more, you're going to give more targets to Johnny Smith or Adam Humphreys. You're not really going to just force Henry into a receiving role. So I don't really think that's going to change at all for him. He does have the potential to get scripted out of games, which is scary to me. He's a very good running back still. He's a solid RB1. Right now, he has my RB5 spot, actually, which I was extremely surprised about. He jumped right in front of Miles Sanders, which I was not expecting at all. But the one thing that you have to remind yourself with Derrick Henry, well, actually two things. One is he's not going to be that great if he doesn't get a lot of touchdowns. So you need the Titans offense to be good. I think it'll be good enough. I have him projected for 16 touchdowns, but that's dangerous. He's my RB5 with 16 projected touchdowns. The only other running back I have projected for that much, I believe, is Christian McCaffrey. And the fact that everyone else in front of Derrick Henry and slightly behind him only has at most like 13 touchdowns projected is dangerous because if Derrick Henry doesn't hit that 16, he could drop in uh, in terms of how he finishes. And then the second thing, the most popular thing that people say about Derrick Henry is he could get scripted out of games. What happens if the defense, for some reason, takes a step back? If the defense falters and they find themselves trying to, to catch up more often, what happens if their offense is just not as good and they're not efficient and they're not having all these crazy breakaway plays that turn into touchdowns and whatnot and they're not able to just keep the score up from the beginning of the game and just stay with teams and run the ball and grind it out from the beginning all it takes is for them to have a few empty drives and all of a sudden they're playing teams like the Chiefs or if they're playing a team like the Texans, who I think will have a pretty good offense, actually, which we'll get to in a second. Any of those teams could easily make it very difficult for Derrick Henry to, to get a lot of carries. That's not what I'm projecting. I'm still projecting him in like my top three for carries for running backs. But it's just something you have to consider because when you're investing a first-round pick or a second-round pick, you want high potential, of course, but you want as high of a floor as possible because you cannot, you cannot miss on those picks. Because if you miss on those picks, it's gonna be you're gonna be behind the eight ball. Because I mean, the hit rate on the first and second round picks is pretty high. So being one of the people to to miss, it's not something I like doing. That's why I always associate myself, especially in the upper rounds, with running backs who are game script proof, 
and I mean that's basically it. The guys like Camara, McCaffrey, um, Sanders, Mixon, you know, guys who I know are always going to be on the field. So here are my projections for the Titans. Ryan Tannehill have at 19 points per game, 3,900 passing yards, 28 touchdowns, 250 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Derrick Henry, 19.4 points per game, 1,650 rushing yards, leading the league by my projections, 25 receptions, 200 receiving yards, 16 touchdowns total. John Smith, I have at 9.1 points per game, 70 targets, 50 receptions, 650 Receiving yards, five touchdowns. AJ Brown, I have at four point or sorry, fourteen point nine points per game. One hundred and fifteen targets, seventy receptions, eleven 1, hundred yards, eight touchdowns. Corey Davis at seven point five. Like I said, not touching him at all. Sixty five targets, forty receptions, five hundred fifty yards, four touchdowns. And Adam Humphreys actually have even a little bit lower, seven point one points per game, sixty targets, forty five receptions, four hundred fifty receiving yards, four touchdowns. And like I said. Um, I'm more likely to take a Humphreys than Corey Davis just because I think Humphreys has potential to get more targets than 60, which is what I haven't projected for. Maybe he gets like an 85 and he pushes Davis out, Corey Davis out for that wide receiver two spot. But if Corey Davis is the wide receiver two, it's not going to be by a significant margin versus Adam Humphreys. So even though I have Humphreys projected for a little bit less, if you had to make me pick, I would probably take Humphreys. All right, on to the Texans. So they lost defensive tackle DJ Reader. They added free safety Eric Murray and wide receiver Randall Cobb for some reason. Um, and then they traded away DeAndre Hopkins for some reason. And they acquired David Johnson for some reason. Oh, and then they also traded away a second-round pick. Not the exact second-round pick that they got for trading away DeAndre Hopkins. But nevertheless, they traded DeAndre Hopkins away for a second-round pick and then traded a second round pick for Brandon Cooks. That makes no sense. Um, But we're not here to rag on the Texans. We're here to talk about the fantasy projections for the Texans. So I'm just going to ignore all of that. We could all make fun of Bill O'Brien for probably its own podcast. Um, And I think we would all love to try to be a GM for the Texans and think we could probably do a better job. But I'm I'm not going to focus on that, and I'm just going to go ahead and get into the projections. So let's talk about Deshaun Watson. He is a tough projection because he's losing DeAndre Hopkins, and he has three brand new weapons. David Johnson, Randall Cobb, Brandon Cooks. How does the offense change? There are so many questions that we don't have the answers to, and I just saw an alert from Bleacher Report. They might be approving the preseason to get shortened to two games. So a lot of times, a lot of fantasy people rely on the preseason to find tendencies on teams and, you know, round out their projections, adjust their projections. And for teams that have a bunch of new faces in new places, um, that's that's your goldmine, is that third, you know, the prime time preseason game where everyone plays their starters for like the first quarter or for, or the first half in that third game, but we don't really, I don't know how that's going to work if there's only two preseason games. So that'll be interesting. So like I said, how does the offense change? Do they involve the short game with running backs a lot more now that they have two great ones with David Johnson and Duke Johnson? Does Deshaun Watson struggle connecting with his new receivers? It's a harder off season than normal. He's not going to have the same opportunities to practice with all of the guys. Plus, He's got a lot of new guys. Like DeAndre Hopkins was his man. 150 targets minimum every single year. And I would venture to say DeAndre Hopkins is the best wide receiver in the league. Yes, I know Michael Thomas has great hands and a great catch rate and yada, yada, yada. But he cannot do some of the things that DeAndre Hopkins can do. And I think DeAndre Hopkins is more elusive after the catch. He's a better 50-50 guy. He can make spectacular catches. He's better on the sidelines. Michael Thomas is an elite wide receiver. He's probably the second best in the league, but I would take Hopkins over over Michael Thomas. So you just lost the best receiver in the league. If you don't agree with that, you still have to admit he's top three. So I'm projecting, because of all these variables, a lower completion percentage, because like I said, new faces and less talent. A similar yards per completion, and that's because Brandon Cooks is a big play threat, and him and Fuller together, while they're both healthy on the field, should be able to open things up. 
Here's the thing, though, with Deshaun Watson. I actually have him projected pretty high. Right now, I think he's my QB4 after um, after Mahomes, Kyler. I haven't projected Lamar yet, so Watson will probably be my QB5. But Mahomes, Kyler, Watson, and I think either Dak, Wentz, or Russell. I know they're all pretty close, um, but Watson is up there, and he's higher than I thought he would be. But the thing you have to remember with him is not only is there a chance that he gets injured um, because he gets sacked all the time and because he is you know, somebody who keeps plays alive and, and opens himself up to more hits than other quarterbacks do. But all of his weapons, every single one of his weapons, pose an extreme injury risk. David Johnson has missed so many games in the past three years. Will Fuller can never play a full season. Brandon Cooks has been dealing with concussion problems. Randall Cobb is super old. Kenny Stills gets hurt all gets hurt all the time. I just named his four starting receivers and his starting running back. All of them could easily miss multiple games. And then he can miss games too. So every that entire offense is like so so risky. And that alone is going to stop me from drafting Deshaun Watson. Because he's going to be one of the first quarterbacks drafted. And much like Derrick Henry's risk of being game scripted out, if you're drafting one of the upper echelon guys, why would you lean towards somebody with risk when you don't need to? It makes no sense. Like, I, I, I could not picture myself drafting Deshaun Watson over guys like... Um, like, I'm high on Carson Wentz. I can't picture myself drafting Deshaun Watson over Carson Wentz, although that one's close, but definitely not over Dak Prescott or Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson. And obviously, I mean, Lamar and Mahomes, of course, we don't have to talk about that. Of course, you're not going to do that. But it's very hard for me to ever picture myself being in a situation where I'm drafting Watson over those guys um, in a redraft. This, um, this year, we will see Deshaun Watson try to carry a team on his back more than ever before. Like I said, he lost an amazing receiver. So the one thing that Watson does have for sure is tremendous upside. Now, it's hard to tell if he has more upside this year because he's going to have to do so much more than he's already been asked to do, which has been a lot because Bill O'Brien does not really help him. Um, but, I mean, losing Hopkins, if if that makes Deshaun Watson run more because he doesn't have somebody open... Or if Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller, since if they send them both deep on the same play multiple times and pull the safety back, and obviously the corners that are staying with the receivers, and it makes Watson's life easier on the run, either of those two situations could cause him to run more. The fact that he lost Hopkins and feels like he needs to do more himself, or the fact that it's just easier to run, there's more rushing lanes. So there's a there's a situation that exists where Watson could be the number one fantasy quarterback. I don't think so, but definitely the situation exists where he could be behind Mahomes and Lamar. Um, So that's something to consider with potential, but I would rather have slightly less potential and um, like basically no risk at all when I'm drafting that highly. And you also have guys that have just as high of a potential like Kyler Murray, who has much less risk. Um, So that's my thoughts on Watson. I'm basically not really drafting him, but I do have him pretty high. Will Fuller, let's talk about him. He had about a 20% target share last year. I do project a slight increase um, because they lost DeAndre Hopkins. I do think they're going to change the way that they use him, for sure. Because when they had Hopkins on the field, Hopkins can do everything. He's the prototypical number one wide receiver that you want to be able to do anything on the field. Will Fuller, in in that capacity, was able to be that deep threat and be able to take the top off the defense. If Will Fuller becomes the number one option, they're going to have to use him similarly in ways that they used Hopkins. They can't just send him deep all the time if he's their wide receiver one. I mean, they're going to want him to run intermediate routes and shorter routes, and he has the ability to do so. We've seen it. They just haven't asked for it as much. So I do think we could see a higher complete, uh, higher catch rate and a lower yards per completion, but Fuller could just find himself you know, running a much more diverse route tree. And then lastly on Will Fuller, he is the wide receiver one now, so he will be seeing harder coverage at times, which will also hurt his efficiency a bit. Now we have Brandon Cooks. He probably starts slow, especially because he's on a new team in a new system, um, but he'll he'll pick up. 
he has the opportunity for good targets. I actually, my gut tells me he's going to be a lot better than I'm able to project him out for. And that's actually, it gave me a good idea for a podcast that I might do in the future. I don't know how to word the title yet, but it's basically going to be guys that my gut tells me should be way higher or way lower than I have them, but I just can't find any way to pull that off in the projections. Um, I think that, that could be a super interesting podcast, so that's something I'm going to keep on my uh, my little post-it note for later. But Brandon Cooks, it, he's he's going to have a hard time getting you know 115 or 120 targets. I have him around 100. Um, I do think he's a good value, though, in drafts currently because he has that potential to be a wide receiver, too. He's done it almost every single year except for last year in his career, um, if not every year. I remember, was it last year, I think? that I took him in, it was a bit of a reach, but I was in a dynasty draft and I took Michael Thomas in round one. I took Brandon Cooks in round two as a reach because I was on the turn, the back of the the first round on the turn. And I didn't, I knew Brandon Cooks wasn't going to be there. And then I took Chris Godwin in the third. So I went Michael Thomas, Brandon Cooks, Chris Godwin. So obviously I was very high on Brandon Cooks and the Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin picks ended up being great. And I actually won the dynasty league last year. Um, because of Thomas and Godwin together, but Brandon Cooks was somebody that I was super high on, even for Dynasty. I mean, he's only 27 now. He was 26 last year, and he's put up back-to-back-to-back-to-back wide receiver two seasons, and he's been moving teams every single time and breaking a 1,000 yards every single time. Last year was the first time that he had a bad year, so it's possible that he's really good, Um, and I, I think he's a good value right now. Um, but unfortunately I have not been able to get him as high as I want to in my rankings. And you'll see that later with my projections for him. Cause I actually have him as like a back end wide receiver three right now. Um, which it's tough, man. It really is, but we don't really know how he's going to be used. So, uh, it's, it's a risky pick, but it definitely has some good value right now. Then you have Randall Cobb. He had a huge outlier season last year. Some people, when I posted my projections, we're like, why do you think Randall Cobb's going to be so bad this year? Last year, he was so good. Like, he broke out last year. Well, I mean, did he break out or did he? was he just a product of the system? Because he had Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, two great receivers, and Zeke and Prescott and a great offensive line. He was just, he was like the last person on any defensive mind or any defense's mind last year. And so he was able to average near 15 yards per reception compared to his like 10 or 11 over the last five years. I don't think that that's going to happen again. I mean, it was, he's old. He's not as fast anymore. He's not as clean of a route runner. He's not quick, sharp, nothing like he, he is not the same guy at all. And to expect last year's production, which was an outlier is silly to me, at least. Um, so he may have some value as the slot guy, but I don't really find myself drafting him at all. He has good potential if Will Fuller or Brandon Cooks goes down to get more targets, um, which is very likely. I think that's the one thing I think Cobb does have going for him is he's probably the least likely to get injured on that team, um, between Kenny Stills, Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks and himself. I think he's probably the safest bet to play 16 games. Um, and if, you know, if two of those guys go down, then Brandon, uh, Randall Cobb could be a very consistent plug-and-play wide receiver too. But, I mean, like I said, you guys know me by now. I don't bang on injury. Then we have David Johnson. He's been really bad, averaging less than four yards per carry the last few years. I have him just above four projected. He's still a very efficient receiver, which is kind of weird how bad he's been in the uh, in the rushing game in terms of, of efficiency, but he's still super efficient in the receiving game. But I expect him to be used a lot here in the receiving game. When you lose a wide receiver that's getting 150 targets, you're not going to be able to just, oh, all right, here you go, Will Fuller. Here's 150 targets. Oh, Will Fuller, you want your 115 targets to go to Brandon Cooks? All right, and we're going to keep our offense the exact same. That's a disaster. There's no way you can do that. You're going to have to change your system. I don't care how bad of a coach you are. You're going to have to change your system to your players. And he also, Bill O'Brien knows how everyone views him. He does not want to look like an idiot. He's going to make sure David Johnson gets as much work as possible. And because of that, I think David Johnson is going to be a good pick. Um, I think he'll be fine. I have him right now as a upper echelon RB2. I have him in that like 
13 to 16 range. And I think he'll probably finish there. I mean, I still have a few guys to project that will push him back. Maybe he'll be in like the 15 to 18 range. But I have him in front of Todd Gurley. Him and Todd Gurley are right next to each other. I have him in front of a bunch of other guys. Uh, David Montgomery, Chris Carson, I think, um, Le'Veon Bell. So, you know, there there are definitely people that are getting drafted above David Johnson right now that I would not take above David Johnson. So I think he's a decent value where he's being drafted because of just the workload that he's going to get. And I think Duke could actually still see receiving work and similar rushing to last year. I have him pretty near last year's stats, in fact, um, because, like I said, I expect the philosophy change. They're going to use the running backs more because... Um, you know, because they lost Hopkins. And another huge thing, actually, like I was saying for Cobb, um, if Fuller or Cooks goes down, I mean, we could see David Johnson have like an 80 reception season. Like It's possible. Like if those receivers start just getting nicked up and knocked off the depth chart from week to week, David Johnson could become huge. He would benefit the most out of anybody, actually, probably more than Randall Cobb would. Then you have Darren Fells. Last year, he had seven touchdowns. It's hard to see that happening again, um, but it is possible. He's a mediocre to non-playable tight end for me. Uh, that's pretty much all I have to say on him. I mean, the, you also have Kahali Waring, which some people think is going to be his year instead of Darren Fells. But honestly, I don't think either of the tight ends for the Texans, even if they completely like take over that tight end role over the other one, I don't think either of them are going to be fantasy relevant. So here are my projections. Deshaun Watson, I have at 22.5 points per game, 4,400 passing yards, 25 touchdowns, 550 rushing yards, 5 touchdowns rushing. Will Fuller, I have at 14.1 points per game. For reference, I have him right next to T.Y. Hilton. I think he's a, a good back-end wide receiver too, middling wide receiver too right now. I have him at 115 targets, 75 receptions, 1,100 yards, and 7 touchdowns. Like I said, I don't see any way that he's going to get DeAndre Hopkins type of workload, and I think a lot of that is going to get pushed over to David Johnson, and their their offense is just going to change. Then you have Brandon Cooks. I have him at 10.3 points per game, 90 targets, 55 receptions, 850 receiving yards, and four touchdowns. Randall Cobb at 6.1, 65 targets, 40 receptions, 450 yards, two touchdowns. David Johnson at 15.5 points per game, 850 rushing yards, 50 receptions 550 receiving yards nine total touchdowns duke johnson at 9.1 points per game 350 rushing yards 40 targets or sorry 40 receptions 400 receiving yards and five touchdowns and lastly darren fells 8.7 points per game 80 targets 55 receptions 550 yards five touchdowns so those are my projections for the texans Overall, I'm probably not drafting any of them except for David Johnson in certain situations if he's at a good value, and maybe Brandon Cooks if he is at a good value. Wolf Fuller, this might be the year that I take a shot on him. I've never really taken a shot on him because of the injury risk, and that's probably going to keep me away from him. Um, so yeah, I probably just I'm probably sticking with Brandon Cooks, um, especially because he has like you know the 150 or not 150 115 target potential, 120 target potential. Fuller goes down early. So I like Cooks and David Johnson in the offense. All right, and finally, we made it to the Jaguars, last uh, team in this division. So they lost A.J. Boye. They lost Kalias Campbell. They're probably going to lose Yannick Ngakwe. And then they did draft replacements for A.J. Boye and C.J. Henderson and Kalias Campbell and Caleb Von Chason. But he will likely, um, not Henderson, but Chason. I mean, both are rookies, so they're both going to need development, but Chason a lot more so. So I don't expect by any means their defense to be as good, even though it had already taken a step back. They also added linebacker Joe Schobert, added tight end Tyler Eifert, and running back Chris Thompson. Out of this entire group of losses or additions, I actually think the sneaky most important one is Chris Thompson because of how he's not for himself, but how he's going to really just destroy Leonard Fournette's value. They also drafted wide receiver slash running back because he can be used that way, LaVisca Chenault. And like I said, I think the defense is going to lose a step, but it's possible they stay at the same level with some speed from Henderson and Chason and athleticism, but I don't think so. So now let's get into uh, Gardner Minshew. He's probably going to be around the same pass attempts as last year. His 16-game pace last year was 557 attempts, 3,800 yards, 24 touchdowns, and he actually was on pace for 440 rushing yards, 
But get this, zero rushing touchdowns. When somebody runs as much as Minshew does, they're bound to get rushing touchdowns. You're, you will be hard-pressed to find somebody who breaks 400 rushing yards and has no rushing touchdowns as a quarterback. It's very hard to find. And because of that, I'm going to give him a couple rushing touchdowns this year. I think he's going to be similar in rushing yardage, which is funny because Blake Bortles, while not being a good quarterback, was pretty good for fantasy. And a lot of people struggled realizing why. Because you look at him and he doesn't look like a runner. But Blake Bortles was getting similar numbers. He was in that 350 to 450 rushing yards. And that's what was keeping him afloat in fantasy and actually making him a QB1 in many weeks. You have the same thing here with Gardner Minshew, but Minshew's a much better passer in my opinion. And now he, he's actually working with better weapons. Um, not the year that you had Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns break out that one year with Bortles, but outside of that one year, I think he has better weapons now. Minshew does. So expect two rushing touchdowns. That's what I have at, at minimum, I think. I think I'm being very safe with that projection of two. It's very possible he runs in four. And in that case, it, he could easily, easily be a, a top eight quarterback. Because, I mean, he's in my top 12 right now, and I only have him for two rushing touchdowns. I do think he's going to have a higher completion percentage. It's his second year. He's developing a little bit more. Uh, he's going to build a, a better connection with DJ Chark and D.D. Westbrook. And then you're also adding LaVisca Chenault, which is going to help that offense, too. He's a great wide receiver, three. And I think he's going to have a slight um, bump in his touchdown rate because it was kind of low last year. And I think Minshew's better than what his touchdown rate was, so it's going to go up a little bit. So overall, from chemistry and natural progression, I think his second year is going to be a little bit better numbers-wise. Then you have Leonard Fournette. He is losing, like I said, a chunk of receiving to Chris Thompson, and that is very much going to hurt him. He has positive touchdown regression coming because he only had three touchdowns, I believe, last year, which is really bad. I have him projected for 10 total. Um, I still have him for a very high carry count. I think he's a decent redraft value, but... Um, not as much as everyone else does. I think he'll be fine. He'll be a fine RB2 for you, but I don't think he's going to be as good because he's losing the thing that made him so valuable last year, especially in the midst of a bad touchdown season, which with his which was his receiving. Um he had 100 targets. 100 targets to Leonard Fournette. Ew. Ew. He had that many targets last year. That's not going to happen with Chris Thompson around. He's a very risky dynasty pick. I want you to think about this for a second. All right, right now, Dalvin Cook is holding out because he has not been able to get what he wanted. We had Melvin Gordon hold out. He couldn't get what he wanted. Zeke held out and got what he wanted. Yes, so did McCaffrey. But in no, on no planet is Leonard Fournette anywhere close to the caliber of player of Ezekiel Elliott or Christian McCaffrey. He's not even close to Melvin Gordon or um, Le'Veon Bell or Dalvin Cook. And right now, Dalvin Cook is having trouble getting a contract. I think he'll be fine. He'll get it done. But the the Jaguars are, are clearly done, right? They're clearly done with Leonard Fournette. What if he can't find a job next year? Like, that's a, a very serious concern. Like, you have to look. It's already It's already hard enough right now in the state of the NFL to find a team that really needs a running back. Like, the 49ers are probably one of the teams without a, a like stud running back. Or not stud, but like a very good one. But they are doing just fine. And they already have money invested into Coleman and McKinnon. And M Moster is there and he's good. Jeff, Jeff Wilson's not horrible. Like they've been really good. One of the best rushing teams without a good running back. Leonard Fournette's not going to go there. The Jets are working with Le'Veon Bell. It's not like they're going to... If Bell walks or they do something and get rid of Bell, it's not like Fournette's going to go to the Jets. Uh, the Broncos, they filled their their perceived hole, I guess. I don't really know why they grabbed Melvin Gordon, but they grabbed Melvin Gordon. I mean, what teams, what teams, tell me if you can think of one, actually. Like, if you want, send me a message. Because um, I really cannot think of any team that Leonard Fournette can be a starter for next year. Um, except for... Because not only do you have to find a spot, but you have to find a team with cap space. Like, I think that a team, maybe if Kijan Vaughn and Ronald Jones both end up not being good, which, I mean, I don't think that's the case at all, but it's just an example. If they ended up not being good, okay, maybe Tampa would make sense. But Tampa doesn't have cap to pay a running back. 
Um, and then, especially with Chris Godwin's contract coming up, I mean, they're going to have to pay him big money. And, I mean, what other teams are there that, that need running backs? There's really not any. I mean, I could run down a list of all the teams in divisions right now, but that would take way too much time. Um, and I don't want to waste your time or my time. But, yeah, there's there's really no situation where I see Leonard Fournette being like a number one running back. And so even if he can find a job and he takes the ego blow and takes a cheap contract, because he's definitely not getting a big contract because he's dealt with injury and he's been extremely inefficient. He's been under four years per carry, I believe three out of his four years. Um, wait, has it been four years? Sorry, I don't have it pulled up right in front of me, but Leonard Fournette has been extremely inefficient. Um, his career average is under four yards per carry and he's not a great receiver. He gets hurt a lot. So honestly, like he's not an investment that a team wants to make. So he's going to have to, if he wants to keep playing in the NFL at this point, he's going to have to take a low money contract and be okay splitting the work and probably not even being the RB1 on whatever team he goes to. So that's just something to keep in mind if you're drafting a startup drafts in Dynasty because Fournette is not somebody I'm going to touch at all. Unless he's there in like the sixth or seventh round and you just want to win this year, then go for it. But he's not going to drop that far first off. And um, yeah, I don't see him being good in the future at all. Then you have Chris Thompson. He's going to take the receiving role. He's going to have very little to no carries. He's not really somebody I'm looking for in fantasy. He would need an injury to Leonard Fournette to be truly relevant. Um, and then I think he'll have a very similar role to Jalen Richard did last year um, in terms of just the, the role as a player in the NFL, but also his fantasy stats. Because Richard was getting a lot more receptions and work in the receiving game than Josh Jacobs was even though Jacobs is better. Uh, Chris Thompson is definitely a better receiver than Leonard Fournette, but I'm just saying I think that like Jalen Richard got like little to no carries and a lot of receiving work to Josh Jacobs, I think it's going to be the same way for Chris Thompson. And Richard was not really fantasy relevant last year. Then you have DJ Chark. He is solidified as the go-to guy for Gardner Minshew. He's good redraft and dynasty value. Surprisingly, I thought usually when you have somebody break out and be super flashy like that, Usually it's like their ADP is way too high the next year, like AJ Brown's is, um, for example. But for some reason, he's his ADP right now is like the fifth round. That's gold. Like the fact that you can get Chark that late and other guys really late, like Tyler Boyd, Robert Woods, um, Calvin Ridley in the third. Um, like there are so many good wide receivers in the mid rounds right now. I am smashing running back, running back, running back. Like if I'm in the position to go... Running back the first three rounds, I'm doing it every time. Like, especially if you're in, in the first few picks. Like, if you have one through four and you're getting a McCaffrey, Zeke, Barkley, or Kamara, and then you come back around on the turn and you can grab a Sanders or a Jacobs or a Clyde, and then on that same turn grab another one of those guys, that is the perfect setup in my mind. I'm always a heavy running back guy, but this is the amazing, amazing year for it. Especially because a lot of the guys at the top kind of have questions. Like Hopkins has questions right now. Julio has, you know, some people have that lingering worry that he's going to take a massive step back um, because of age. And then, like, the only safe guys really are Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas. Um, Tyree Kill's good, but he's not as elite as I think people think he is for fantasy this year, um, which I did talk about in my last podcast when I was projecting the AFC West. Yeah. The, waist, the the AFC West. And then, um, yeah, you just you have so many questions up there. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, like how are they going to compete with each other? Is Kenny Galladay going to be as good as he was? Like there's just a lot going on with the, the upper tier receivers that makes me really like that second group way more. So then you have D.D. Westbrook. He's not too far off from Chark in targets. He does much less with the targets, though. He's still the clear number two, in my opinion. I don't think LaVisca is going to overtake him this year. Um, but I do think LaVisca is a dual threat, and he could have some rush production, which also will hurt Fournette a little bit. But I, I don't see him getting more than, like, 20, 25 carries. Um, I think he's a good dynasty stash. He's a guy who has good potential to form a nice duel with DJ Chark. I don't expect much from him in redraft. I do think he hurts Chris Conley and Keelan Cole's value, though. Um, by the way, I didn't project bothering, um, or sorry, I didn't bother projecting 
the tight ends or like highlighting the tight ends in the podcast or in my graphics because of the lack of usage. I don't really think that they're going to have anything near what you need to be relevant in fantasy. There's, so there's no point in talking about them at all. Gardner Minshew, I have at 20.9 points per game, 40 to 50 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, 500 rushing yards, and two rushing touchdowns. So that's a pretty conservative projection. I mean, that's not much better than last year. And I think that he's poised to do much better than last year. And so he's actually a QB1 for me right now. And I think that he's going to finish the year that way. And if you can get him for like a second round pick right now in dynasty drafts, do it. Because I think there's a chance that Gardner Minshew is going to be the quarterback of the future for that team. I really believe that. Like there are just some things when I watch him and I'm like, man, that that guy, he there's something about him. Like he could easily be um, one of those like success stories, one of those late round picks that just work out. So I mean, he doesn't look much worse than Dak did in Dak's rookie year, honestly. Like, that might be a hot take, but I'm just saying. Like, Minshew has some good potential. And for a second-round pick, um, especially if you're somebody that needs a quarterback and could use one for this year, in Dynasty, I think that's a great option. Um, And then DJ Charka have at 14.5 points per game. He is in that wide receiver two range, 125 targets, 75 receptions, 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns. Then D.D. Westbrook, 9.9 for 100 targets. 65 receptions, 700 yards, four touchdowns. LaVisca, nine exactly, 75 targets, 45 receptions, 550 receiving yards, some rushing production, and five touchdowns total. Leonard Fournette, I have at 14.1 points per game. I have him behind a lot of running backs. I'm not taking Fournette in redraft. Um, Like, he, he could be a decent value at some point, but there's just the fact that he lost his receiving is not good at all like that that's what he had going for him and he still is inefficient and he still has the injury risk so I'm taking guys like I would rather take David Johnson than Leonard Fournette like I can't even believe I'm saying that like before I did my projections if you asked me I would have told you a hundred out of a hundred times oh yeah I'm taking Leonard Fournette obviously but as I dug deeper into or should I say took a deep dive into these teams um I realized that yeah, Fournette is not somebody that I really like as much as I thought. Kind of like Brandon Cooks uh, with the gut check versus the projections. I have him for 1,100 rushing yards, 30 receptions, 250 receiving yards, and 10 touchdowns. And then Chris Thompson, I have at 7.6 points per game, 100 rushing yards, 50 receptions, 450 receiving yards, two touchdowns. That finishes out the AFC South and... Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate all the support. If you like the podcast, please give me a rating. It takes like five seconds. Um, And then if you want to be super generous, I could really use some reviews. Um, That would be nice because, you know, I'm only, I mean, this is like my first year being consistent with podcasts. I released like two or three last year, Um, but I was just getting started and I got wrapped up in a whole bunch of other stuff. But I'm starting to get consistent now and reviews mean a lot to me. So I'd really appreciate that if you guys uh, have a second of your time. But thanks again for listening in. Have a good one, guys. Until next time.